Jesus alluded to this when he said quickly in Luke 11, you earthly, if you earthly fathers being what? Basically good? If you earthly fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your heavenly father give good gifts to his kids? But Jesus alluded to this, right? And God has said this all the way through his word. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. You know how man responds? No, it isn't. My heart isn't deceitful and desperately wicked. I'm basically a good person. It's my environment or my upbringing that has made me do some bad things. It's not me. Can't blame me. I'm basically good. And so to silence man once and for all from the excuse that he is not really responsible for the evil things he does as he tries to blame everyone and everything else for his sin. You know what God does? God says, fine, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you in a perfect environment for a thousand years. Paradise, just like he did with Adam and Eve. People say, why am I being blamed for Adam's sin? If I was there in the Garden of Eden, I wouldn't have disobeyed God. God is going to say, well, really? All right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put the whole human race in the Garden of Eden, in a sense, a paradise for a thousand years. You're not going to have any corrupt parents or any corrupt environment. You're going to live in a world of perfect peace and harmony, of love and goodness, with the perfect parent overseeing all of you, God the Father, Jesus Christ on the throne, the perfect king, a perfect world. But after living in a perfect environment for a thousand years, really a kind of heaven on earth, many will choose to turn against God when given the chance and try to overthrow Jesus from being king. Folks, the perfect environment will never produce a perfect heart. Man is not the product of his environment like the psychologists and sociologists have tried to tell us. Man is not the product of his environment. He's the product of his heart, which God says is deceitful and desperately wicked. I'm not saying that his environment can't influence him, but it doesn't force him to do anything. There are too many people who have been born in abject poverty, who have grown up in towns where there was nothing but crime and violence and are godly people who love the Lord and live godly lives and then too many others who have grown up in great affluence who have become career criminals. So I'm not saying your environment doesn't influence you in some way if you let it. I'm just saying you are not the product of your environment. You're the product of your heart. And if you choose to feed your, dis, your, your fallen heart the things that it wants, which is sin, you will continue to be corrupted by it more and more. If you give your heart to Jesus, well, he'll change everything. In fact, the Bible tells us that God never tries to repair or to re rehabilitate a fallen human heart. You know what he does with it? He just replaces it through the new birth. Ezekiel 20, uh, 36 verse 26 says, God speaking, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. God doesn't even mess with our old, broken corrupt fallen hearts he just replaces them and he gives us a new heart which has new desires desires that want to obey him out of love right that's what the new birth is all about well revelation 20 verse 9 so after satan gathers all these people who want to go to war against god they went up on the breath of the earth which is the great plain that we talked about and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. 
we see here that during the millennial kingdom, the saints, now obviously not all the saints of God, because many of us are living in different parts of the world where God is using us as leaders and so on, but uh, a large number of saints, who are they? They could be the Old Testament saints gathered around Jerusalem, which is the beloved city. It could even be the 144,000 that lived for the Lord during the tribulation period and had such a hard time, right? Were persecuted and tortured and killed, but were faithful. How we read in an early part in Revelation, they're given special honor to stay close to the Lord during the millennial kingdom. So it could be that these folks are, are, are encamped around the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. Of course, in Jerusalem, Christ is reigning visibly on his throne. Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom is going to be not just the millennial center of the whole earth. It's going to be the center of the whole universe. As Christ is reigning on his throne and his people are surrounding him and just loving him and praising him. And while all this is going on, the enemy is gathering the rebels. And at one point they attack. Now, they've gathered together for a battle, just like their ancestors did a thousand years earlier in Revelation 19 when another group of people gathered together to go to war against the Lord, right? Before the Millennial Kingdom. Now we're at the end of the Millennial Kingdom and another group gathers for one final battle to go to war against God. We call it a battle. It's not really a battle. It's more of an execution. They gather to go to war against God and God, John says, I saw a fire come down from heaven and just burn them all up. They're just incinerated on the spot. Of course, that meant their bodies will be disintegrated. Their soul will go, souls will go into Hades, that temporary place of incarceration where the unbelieving dead go until they stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, which we'll read about next week, and are sentenced then to eternal punishment in hell forever. But Revelation 20, verse 10 says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan doesn't uh, escape here, all right? Uh, this is his Waterloo. This is his final battle, uh, thinking that he can lead people one last time to go to war against God. Does he really think he can win? I don't know. I don't know what motivates this guy. I mean, I really don't. He's, I know he's a super intelligent being, and yet he does some pretty dumb things. I don't know. Does he actually think he can go to war against God and win? Possibly. I think that, you know, in some ways he's insane. I mean, I, I don't know how that works for an angelic being, but if, there, if an angel couldn't be nuts, Satan is crazy. <laughs> because he's got this God complex. He thinks he can do anything. And so this is his final battle. This is it. And so John says, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. This is hell, folks. You know, we've all been made to believe that when Satan, that Satan is the king of hell, that right now he's the king of hell, right? And we've, we've seen this in, in literature and in um, art and things, that Satan is ruling in hell. Satan is not ruling in hell. Satan is the god of this world. He is controlling the people and the nations of this world bringing them to a place where, well, as we see it more and more every day, people are just more and more rebelling against God. As Paul said, evil men are growing worse and worse. And it's not going to get any better until Jesus comes back and fixes it. But Satan right now is the God of this world, and he has access to heaven. 
His access to heaven is going to end the middle point of the seven years when Michael the archangel takes the armies of heaven and does battle against the devil and his armies and throws him out of heaven where he is now consigned to the earth. He comes down to the earth, the Bible says, having great wrath because his, he knows his time is short. Well, then of course, Jesus returns, bounds him for a thousand years, and now he's let loose for a little while to give the people of this earth who have been born during the, the millennial kingdom a chance to exercise their free will. Are they going to follow the Lord, not because they have to, but because they want to, or are they going to follow the devil? When the last person decides what they're going to do, and the armies of the devil come to, together against the Lord, that's it. They march on Jerusalem. The Lord sends fire down, incinerates them. And then the Lord takes the devil and casts him into the lake of fire, into hell, where he won't be ruling. He will be tormented more than anybody else. And I want you to notice what it says here. And he is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet, what? Are. Now these two guys were cast into the lake of fire when Jesus returned to the planet Earth to set up his millennial kingdom. They have been in hell for a thousand years. So that when Satan gets cast in there, they're still being tormented and will be forever and ever, along with everybody else who gets cast into the lake of fire or into hell. I think that that pretty much ends any debate about the false doctrine of annihilationism. Many believe in what is called annihilationism. And that simply means that all unbelievers who are cast into the lake of fire, as soon as they hit the lake of fire, they are burned up, they go out of existence, they don't suffer forever, they just cease to exist. They're just incinerated. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We see it right here. The Antichrist and false prophet are still there being tormented even after a thousand years. And as Revelation 14, 11 tells us, all those who get cast into the lake of fire, verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. You know, I want to spend the rest of our time this evening kind of setting up next week's study, which is the final judgment of unbelievers in preparation to them being cast into the lake of fire for eternity. The idea of a literal place called hell where there's going to be eternal torment is not a very popular thing with the people of this world. I mean, the idea of a literal hell an eternal place of torment. I'll tell you, for a lot of most of the people in this world, uh, they don't like that at all. They don't want to hear that. They refuse to even believe in it. Part of it is because they can't comprehend how a God of love, who created man in his own image, could send people to a place like that where they're tormented forever and ever. And so, because they can't get their minds around this, it's too horrible to think about. Most people fall into three categories with regard to hell. And we've talked about this before. Let me just go through them again quickly. First of all, they ignore it by living in denial concerning the reality of hell. As I've said to you before, 76% of the people in this country believe in heaven. Only 6% believe in hell. Isn't that interesting? 76% of Americans believe there is a literal place called heaven. Only 6% believe there is a literal place called hell. So many people just deny the existence of hell. That's how they deal with it. Secondly, 
Many tried to just work around it through doctrines like annihilationism. Well, it's not forever. It's not torment forever because people get thrown in there and they get burned up and that's it. They go out of existence. Or through something called universalism. Universalism is a doctrine which says that, you know, in the end, although God's threatened us with a lot of horrible things, he's really a softy. And he's not going to release anybody to hell. It's kind of like us parents, how sometimes, you know, because our teenagers, you know, when they were really, you know, those kids in the teenage years, how they rebelled and maybe they gave us a real hard time uh, uh, close to some big event they wanted to go to, like uh, a, a big dance at school or something, you know, they were really planning for. But they were so rotten the last week or so before this thing that we said, that's it, you're not going to the dance. But then, of course, the night before we gave in, because we're really softies, we don't want to deprive our children of something that they really want to do that's going to bless them. And so a lot of people think, well, that's kind of how God works. You know, he's threatening us with hell to keep us in line, but in the end, he's not going to really send anybody there. In fact, some even take this to the extreme where they say even the devil, God's going to say, I come on in too. <laughs> now, folks, these doctrines, annihilationism and um, universalism, they are more wishful thinking than they are based on any biblical truth. So people, first of all, <laughs> ignore it. Uh, secondly, they try to get around the reality of hell. Thirdly, they joke about it. You've heard people make jokes. I'd rather be partying in hell with all my friends than bored in heaven with all those hypocrites. You know, most of you know, Cindy and I just got back from the Cayman Islands for our 30th anniversary. We actually stayed on Grand Cayman Island. And on Grand Cayman, there is a town called Hell. There is a town called Hell. And I'm sure it's kind of a novelty thing. I mean, the people of the town, no doubt, get a lot of mileage out of that. You know, it's great for tourism. You know, everybody wants to say that they visited Hell. Uh, you know, that they, you know, they, they tell their friends they've been to Hell. You know, I'm sure. I, we didn't go there. I, would, I wouldn't give the town the satisfaction. <laughs> I don't plan on going to the real Hell, and I'm certainly not going to visit the namesake. But I would imagine if we had gone, that they would have been selling t-shirts that say things like, let's all party in hell, you know, go to hell, I live in hell, I've been to hell and back, you know, that kind of thing, right? Getting a lot of mileage out of this, right? Ha, 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 big joke. You know, the devil loves us to laugh at something like hell. He loves, us when, loves it when people don't take hell seriously. Guys, I got news for you. He's going to have the last laugh. The Bible says that hell is real, and it's no joke. Hell is real, and it's no joke. Again, Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the New Testament, or in the Bible, for that matter. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Do you realize that? And even more than he talked about love. Because it's the ultimate love that tells people what they don't want to hear, but what they need to hear. If you love somebody, and you know that they were engaging in destructive behavior, you knew that. Maybe they didn't realize it, but you knew it. How loving is it of you to keep that information to yourself? If you really love them, you're going to tell them. You may lose a friend, but I'd rather lose a friend by lovingly trying to warn them than to, in the name of friendship, not say a word and let them destroy their life. Jesus did not want us, not just destroying our lives, but destroying our eternities. 
That's why out of love he spoke about hell more than anybody else because he didn't want anyone to go there. He was trying to warn the human race that hell is real. And if they didn't, the people of this world don't receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are going to spend eternity there. You know, and we've talked about this before, almost all evangelism today is based on the love of God. Now, folks, I love to talk about God's love. I really do. God is such a loving God. It's wonderful to be able to talk about how much God loves us, right? The problem is, preaching today has become lopsided. Most preachers, and I think part of it is because hell makes people uncomfortable. Uh, hello? That's what it's supposed to do. But a lot of preachers want to keep things kind of positive and upbeat because, after all, you don't want to scare people out of the church because they're often supporting the church with large donations. And so I want to keep it kind of positive and, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. But a pastor who does that doesn't love his people. If you truly loved your people, you were to give them the whole counsel of God. You'd talk about God's love, but you'd also talk about God's righteousness and justice. And so today we hear almost all evangelism based on God's love, how God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But they don't tell people that if you don't turn from sin, God's going to have to judge you. I mean, if all we do is tell people God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, great. What is that plan? I want to be blessed. But we don't tell them, look, you got to stop living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, stop cheating your company, ripping off this or that, you know, this living immorally, that kind of thing. We have to give them the whole message. You know, Jesus was the first hell, fire, and damnation preacher in the New Testament. John the Baptist actually was the last prophet of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets were until John. But Jesus was the first preacher of the New Covenant. And you know what? He talked about hell a lot. But he always did it with love and compassion, right? In fact, Jesus often talked about hell in the same passage or even in the same sentence that he talked about heaven. I'll give you one example. Matthew 25, verse 46. Jesus said, And some are going to go away on the day of judgment into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And in that one verse... Not only did he talk about heaven and hell, but he said that both were what? Eternal. All the, the same Greek word that was used of heaven being eternal is the same Greek word that Jesus used of hell being eternal. You can't say, well, it's great that heaven is eternal because Jesus said so, but I don't believe that hell is eternal. What is hell? Well, hell is a place of perpetual burning. The Greek word is Gehenna. It comes from the Hebrew word Gehinnom, which really speaks of the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom is a deep, narrow valley to the south of Jerusalem, where way back in the Old Testament time, the idolatrous Jews sacrificed their sons and daughters, burning them alive to the god Molech, who was the god of pleasure. Later, it became the city Dump where all kinds of garbage and filth were tossed over the walls into this valley, and it was always being burned, and it would include the bodies of dead animals and even dead criminals. Everything, you know, diseased and filthy was tossed into the valley of Hinnom, where it was burned, a perpetual burning. And because of it, it became an apt illustration for another place of eternal burning, where everything vile and corrupt and depraved is going to go forever. So Gehinnom became Gehenna, 
which is a word that is translated hell or the lake of fire. And all ungodly people will someday be sent to this place to experience the righteous judgment of God for all the ungodliness they have committed throughout all their lives on the earth. You know, all sin is considered to be a crime against the holy God, and those crimes have to be paid for. Now, if a person refuses to receive Christ's payment on their behalf by accepting Him as Lord and Savior, then they will have to pay themselves for those sins by being punished for all eternity. So, hell is a place of perpetual burning. And the question arises then, how could a God of love create a place like hell to send people to? Well, first of all, God didn't create hell for man. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, verse 41, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. God never made hell for man. But man can choose to go there. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.